Choke points. Let's go. Brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. So what happens when a concrete panel rocks out of position on I-5? Well, you get what happened last Thursday when South Snohomish County came to a dead stop for about three hours. Chris, tell us more. Yeah, you couldn't go anywhere last Thursday afternoon from Mill Creek to Everett. Holly called me and was like, what's going on? As she was trying to just make it home from Boeing. Uh, It wasn't just I-5. It was the neighborhood roads all over the place. It was gridlock because a concrete panel rocked out of position, and the edge ended up sticking up about three inches above the concrete panel to the next of it. It was in the center lane of I-5 northbound at Marine View Drive in a spot in Everett there where there are only three lanes. Uh, and since this was in the center lane, they had to close a little bit on either side in order to make an emergency repair. So for more than six hours, only one lane of northbound I-5 was open, shutting down the entire area from like the middle of the day through the early evening as they made those repairs. So you might wonder, how does a 15 by 12 foot concrete panel rock out of place? It doesn't seem like something that should happen. No. Well, the Washington Department of Transportation, told uh, Tom Pierce told me, this was one of the panels that they had started re- working on last fall. They're in the process of Revive I-5 there, replacing concrete panels and things like that. Well, only 160 of the 200 panels were finished when the cold weather arrived. The final panels were going to be replaced this spring. They decided to cut all of the concrete panels that were left to be replaced so that the subcontractor could be released. After all the panels were cut, the winter weather closed in. We had to stop work. Cutting the edges of those panels left them vulnerable to moving. But Pierce thought, or says the contractor thought, uh, that they'd be fine. Our contractor expected that the cut panels would be okay through the winter, but it turns out that uh, we had the one pop up, and rather than risk having another one, we want to get in and get this work done as soon as possible. So that leads us to this weekend. To finish replacing those final 40 panels, including the one that rocked out of place last week, the state is going to close two of the three northbound I-5 lanes around Marine View Drive all weekend. We're going to reduce northbound I-5 to just one lane in this three-lane section. That's going to allow us to close the two right lanes so that we can go in and replace about 40 of the broken concrete panels that have been cut. The lane closures begin about 10 o'clock Friday night, will last through early Monday morning. It's about a three-mile closure from Broadway to the Snohomish River. The exit to Marine View Drive will also be closed. As you would imagine, this is expected to create huge delays in the area and not just on I-5. Pierce says drivers who would normally take the Highway 2 trestle, say over from Snohomish or Lake Stevens, well, they should probably stick with Highway 9. If you're going to go from US-2 north on to five, that's right where the bottleneck is as we're narrowing the lanes. So that's going to be a challenge for people. Yeah, so basically you're going to be driving right into close to a closed freeway. So you don't want to be in anywhere near the, the westbound trestle this weekend either. I-5 drivers are to being told to use 529. The That's the old road that gets you to Marysville. But remember, you can't get there from Marine View Drive. That's the easiest way. You get off and you pop right up onto the 529 bridge. Uh, that's going to put a lot more people on the surface streets through Everett. Uh, fortunately, 
silver tips are out this weekend, but there is a big gun show at the arena that draws a lot of people uh, every year. So, yeah, this has the potential to be big, big problems, and I'm still not convinced that it was a good idea to cut the panels yeah. before you were going to replace them, uh, considering that one rocked out of position last Friday, last Thursday. Yeah, yeah. You would think that that was what was underneath it would keep it in place, but was it like a void or something? Yeah, yeah, just a yeah, really yeah. heavy truck drove over it? Yeah, you can, you can never tell, just because, yeah, once they're loose, they're, they're, they're just on the ground that they were that hmm. they're laid on. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, and again, they wouldn't have done this if they didn't think it was safe. Obviously, contractors know what they're doing, yeah. you, and if they thought that they could do this and DOT was cool with it, but yeah, one of them popped, and yeah, it led to a problem, so now they're going to take care of it right away. Good news is, Dave, if you want a silver lining in this, this is 40 less panels that they're going to have to do at a closure this spring, because <laughs> they're getting it done now, so, so that's a positive. Wow. <laughs> rebuilding it's like rebuilding the house while you're living in it right yeah it's yeah, yeah it's always it's one of those yeah the the yeah. visqueens up all over the place and you just open your wallet through doors dust everywhere yeah let's go down to olympia where they're considering new rules on guns adding to the list of areas you cannot openly carry a gun and we also have a bill requiring used car dealers to issue a mandatory warranty on almost every vehicle they sell let's go to cairo news radio's matt markovich good morning matt good morning dave uh, day 11 of the 105 day session and i wanted to pick out a few bills that concern uh, pretty much anybody uh, that and are easy to understand and let's start off with the this new bill they're proposing that would cancel open carry in parks and hospitals. It's presented by Democrat Representative Tana Sen. She's a bill sponsor, but not all public parks are part of the bill. State park, a place where people, there's target practice, open space, public wildlands, those are not covered in this. It's simply places where there's a jungle gym, ball fields, those sorts of places where extremely likely kids to be present. And that's the key part of this. If the park has some area where kids can play, and that could be a ball field uh, with a jungle gym nearby or something like that, those are the parks that would be affected. And, of course, hospitals, is that's easy to understand. And right now, you cannot openly carry, according to state law, at schools uh, at, and near the state capitol, inside the state capitol, as well as demonstrations. And Mike Nelson, of the mayor of Edmonds, thinks it's a good idea. Our city parks prohibit alcohol, smoking, but not firearms. Does that really make sense? But there was some people in opposition. In fact, Julie Barrett of the Conservative Women of Washington is one of 30 people who signed up at the hearing opposing the bill. Criminals won't be deterred by this law. They may actually be emboldened by this. And she's basically saying you need uh, people should be allowed to bring a gun to the park for protection in this world that we live in, Dave. Mm, has any? I'm curious, has anybody openly carrying a gun ever been involved in a criminal shooting? Don't Because the criminals usually hide their weapon, right? Correct. I mean, I think that's been an argument by the NRA and gun supporters all these years is that the law-abiding citizen who may be openly carrying a gun, uh, they know how to use it responsibly. It's the people who have a criminal intent that's the problem here, and these laws are ineffective. Let's go to um, – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to move on to our used car warranties. That's what I was going to do, too. So tell us about used car warranties. So this is really interesting. I found this interesting because um, this is about mandating what's known as an express warranty on all used vehicles that have less than 125,000 miles or 
uh, no more are uh, up to 20 years old. Um, and it's because right now in the state, it's the law that a used car dealer, and we're only we're not only t- talking about used car dealers, not private sales here. Used car dealers have to offer an implied warranty, and when they do, they often do it in in a shufflement uh, of paperwork, and it's a waiver of the implied warranty. And Aaron Ficus spoke on behalf of the Attorney General's office to explain kind of the issue here. Along with the stack of paperwork that people are getting when they purchase a car, it includes a a waiver of that implied warranty. Under Washington law, if if a consumer is to waive that warranty, that needs to be a negotiation. So presumably a reduced price on the purchase of the vehicle. In practice, that's just not happening. And so if consumers go back to dealerships with an issue with the car, the dealership can say, well, you waived your implied warranty. This was essentially an as-is purchase. And so there's nothing that we're required to do for you under law. And he testified that the AG's office is getting, at, on average, one complaint a day about a used car sale. And the, so the intent of this law is that the car that comes off the lot is roadworthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's different, you know, my, depending on the mileage, the warranty would be extended. Uh, the newer the car, um, the longer the warranty. And it's mandatory so that when a car dealer offers, a, throws up a bunch of paperwork in front of the person who's buying, um, there's no more implied warranty waiver in there. It's a mandatory thing. But there is opposition because Scott Muster is the CEO of Trucks and Auto Auctions in Pasco. And he says the bill will have consequences. This bill will raise the cost of used cars dramatically to fix a problem that exists one time out of 1,174 transactions. I imagine he says it wouldn't be good business for for, uh, used car sellers to sell a bunch of duds because they go out of business pretty quickly, right? So they're motivated to make sure the car has been inspected. Well, no, it's more about the the cost of repair. So you ha- they're on the hook for cost of repairs of the major parts. So a mandatory warranty means like the drivetrain. It's not a bumper to bumper warranty. It's a uh-huh. the drivetrain, the engine block, things like that. How long is it for? It depends on how long, how old your car is and how many miles it has. Uh-huh. So it's a sliding scale. But he's worried about it's going to add thousands of dollars, he says, to these newer used cars because in case it, something breaks in this big electronic car that you just bought off the lot, um, it's going to cost the dealer a lot of money. So they're going to have to factor that in to repair some of these cars. Also, all those dealerships along the states uh, you know, bordering Idaho and Oregon, those states don't have a employee. Uh, mandatory warranty, so they can keep their costs a little bit de- uh, cheaper. Now you go across the, the border, get a cheaper yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if your car breaks down on the way back home, then you're you're sort of screwed, aren't you? I mean, does is there any? Why would somebody buy a car that doesn't isn't protected from breaking down on the way home? Because that's what it sounds like we have in the state now. Well, well, that's what it is. But it's the implied warranty waiver that the state law requires dealers to offer, mm-hmm. um, or actually offer, but the dealers put out a waiver. So when you're signing all that paperwork, you're just, you know, you're just signing your signature on all this stuff, the loan stuff, and all of a sudden they slide this waiver of this oh, implied warranty. So the key is not to sign that then. 
That's right. But he says in practice, that's not happening. You know, people are just signing it. People who have low incomes are just desperate to get a car to take their kids to school. Sure. They just sign it. And then all of a sudden they got a clunker when they drive it off the yeah. lot and there's nothing happening. So, so that's there should be sort of, a, sort of a public education campaign saying if you can ignore the all the paperwork, but don't ignore this one. Just don't sign the implied waiver warranty and see what happens. Yeah. Well, that and that's what could be argued against this law. Yeah. And the Used Car Dealers Association, one of them is supporting this. They've been negotiations with the AG's office, but there's another one that hasn't weighed in yet. All right. The lottery privacy bill. What about that? So, you know, you win a lottery, you think, okay, uh, my information is protected. You know, the lottery, when you win a lottery... Um, they take your uh, a lot of information, banking information, you know, details, social security numbers, everything else. And by the practice of the lottery has been in, in, for since it started is that the only public information that they can disclose in a public disclosure request is the person's name and their hometown. Mm-hmm. But Christy Weeks of the Washington State Lottery is worried that recent court cases may require her office to to divulge more information of the winners. Ordering the release of things like birth dates and addresses in other situations that have similar cloudy exemptions. Aha. Uh-huh. So what they're trying to do is kind of do a preemption here. They want to be able to put into law that, you know, you can't, somebody who's got uh, some scam on their mind, they want to find the lottery winner and get their details filing a public disclosure request because, again, this is a state agency and you can do that. But they want to put a limit on this, on what information can be handed out by someone who happened to win the lottery and maybe have won millions of dollars. Well, that makes sense. Is there any controversy surrounding this? Uh, not right now, no. but it's, it's, you know, they're just trying to prevent something that hasn't happened yet, she said. No one's been scammed. A winner in this state has not been scammed because of personal information that the lottery's given out. All right. Matt Markovich reporting on the legislature for us. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Overcoming the wounds of war takes courage and strength and Sometimes help from Hope for the Warriors. CBS's Janet Shamlian reports. This is a slice of happiness Chris Kind couldn't imagine in the past. The Army veteran says he was angry and depressed in the years after a mortar blast in Iraq left him with a brain injury. Later, PTSD and burns on 65% of his body. It was just hard to adjust to that, you know, to that new norm. The father of five says he needed connection but couldn't find it until he started gardening. So you found joy in this and some relief? Oh, a lot of relief. But his burns prevented him from being outside in the midday sun. That's when Hope for the Warriors gifted him this $10,000 greenhouse. What was that like hearing you were going to I was like, wow. (laughs) The nonprofit has granted more than 250 wishes, everything from woodworking equipment to family vacations. What is it like for you to see these wishes granted? To be able to grant a wish, that's really cool. <laughs> and to know that it is, it's life-changing. Kind, now living up to his name. The biggest thing about growing this stuff and making me feel good is just to giving it away to other people, man. You're giving? What are you getting? I'm getting joy. Joy and growth. Janet Shamley in CBS News, Lawrenceville, Texas. Seven forty-eight, and now here he is from the Gene Ursula Show, which starts for real at nine o'clock here on Kyron News Radio. G. Scott, did you see this uh, Canadian study on alcohol consumption? I did. I I, I really did. It says here. Let me just get this uh, line. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 
Consumption of even two drinks per week has been associated with an elevated risk of seven types of cancer, including breast and colon cancer, as well as cardiovascular disease. They don't want you to drink anything. And I kind of believe it. Um, you know, first of all, I just want to be clear. I love an adult beverage. I really do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I like to have one, but I have found that I noticed that when I cut myself off for like, let's just say I cut, cut myself off for a month and I haven't had right now. I'm over a month right now. When that happens, I see and feel how much better my body feels. Really? You notice it, huh? I notice it. And, and, and especially the older we get, you definitely notice it if you've had too much the next day and you're like, oh, I didn't get anything done. And I think that that is, those are warning signs that our body's given us telling us, yo, we don't like that. Like our, they're saying that our body does not like that. I totally believe in that. I feel, I feel like I have less inflammation. When I'm not drinking, I feel like uh, my clarity, my mind is better. Uh, overall, I make better food choices. I think that there is a lot to be said about that. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor, but I did read that, and I, I kind of agree. I think I'm going to keep going for a little bit because, mm-hmm. again, as much as I love, and I really do love an adult beverage, I think I love the way my body feels even better. I think that kind of wins out. Do you ever feel any any pure pressure to drink when you're in a group or at a party or anything like that? You know, I would love to say no, but it, it, it it's kind of weird sometimes. Let's just say uh, you go somewhere, and I've recently been there. It's like oh, like New Year's, New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Jay, you gonna have something? I'm like, uh, no. No, no thanks. Oh, what's going on? <laughs> right. So I don't yeah. really feel that peer pressure. Uh, not really, but I think that we all kind of in some way kind of do. Your friends are like, hey, Colleen, you okay? You good? <laughs> well, not so much anymore. I found that many in, in my generation, and really we're not that far off, G, but yeah. my generation and the younger, like there's this whole sober movement where it's okay now. You know, like if you don't want to drink, fine. But I do remember those days when it's like, well, what's wrong? Of course, when you're a woman, it's always... <gasps> Are, Are you, you pregnant? pregnant? <laughs> oh, I hate that so much. And it's like, no, I just don't feel like having a headache tomorrow. But I don't know. I feel like this is just the latest report. We hear all the time, like, a glass of wine a day is so heart healthy. You know, one beer a day is good for the gut. Or, you know, like, this whole, like, black and white, no alcohol, all the alcohol. You know, it's just, like you said, G, you know what your body, how yep. your body reacts. And as you get older, it is harder to metabolize alcohol. So you go got to cut back but I, I don't think that we should shame anybody w- for having a glass of wine no i i don't i don't, I don't think so either oh how about a, a shot of tequila at night or you know <laughs> whatever you know, you've got those like 112 year old people who are like i drank a glass of gin and <laughs> ate a snickers every day that's what kept me alive and it's no. like <laughs> no just yeah. really genetics kept you alive that's right, really. right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i don't know you know your body yeah i i, I think so too but you know, Colleen, Dave, that's where I'm at right now. I think um, lately I've been trying to. And then the first thing we do when we want to lose weight, which that's what I've been on this crusade to try to do. I mean, I've done it before. The first thing you do is you stop drinking. Like, OK, I want to lose weight. OK, first, er, let me stop drinking first. And then you start drinking. You stop drinking. And then like, oh, man, I just lost a quick seven pounds that fast. Boom. And, and then I, I again, I think the inflammation 
I think better food choices all happen when you stop with the little dub beverages. I think it because uh, the the times I go out to uh, to bars and uh, it's you know considered it's a social occasion you want to drink. They have these non alcoholic fancy drinks which are actually pretty darn good. Mm. Which uh, and I will also sometimes I don't want this to to get around too much. I will buy that uh, Verner's intense ginger ale. Yeah, bring home a six pack of that. A six pack I, of ginger now, ale. That's adorable. Now yeah. this year so far, I've noticed. Um, so which was harder, cutting out the adult beverages or coffee? Oh my goodness! Did you stop oh. drinking coffee too? Yeah. Mm. Yo, wow. yo, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, you no, know, like for real, for real. This cutting out coffee, th- th- that is the hardest thing in the yeah. world. Have you cut out sugar yet? I hear sugar is even more difficult yeah. than coffee. Yeah, I've cut down on sugar. I didn't yeah. cut sugar, but yeah, but I get cu- it. I would give up alcohol way before I yeah, give up coffee. Way before, like, like this, yeah. this this coffee thing be, especially in the morning time, and I'm making that drive, and I'm listening to you guys. Like, I'd be mad at y'all talking now. Like, I used to not be mad at y'all. I'd be mad because I ain't had coffee in my system, Colleen. Mm. <laughs> Understandable. We'll give you some grace as you work through this uh, coffee addiction. I appreciate you. G. Scott, 9 o'clock with Ursula at Chiron News Radio. Thanks, Chief. Detectives are investigating two homicides in Seattle's Georgetown neighborhood this morning. And Cairo News Radio's Sam Campbell is there and joins us live with what we know. Sam. And detectives have wrapped up here now, but they had a homeless encampment taped off and a canine unit sniffing around the bushes. The scene is just behind the Martin Court Apartments at 4th in Michigan Street, and no details from police on any suspect yet. Police say they responded to a reported shooting just after midnight, and when they got here, they found two men shot to death in a car. Those men haven't been identified, and it's not clear whether the attack was random or targeted. Seattle police also haven't announced any details for a suspect. There's a lot of details that we still don't know about this, but it is being investigated as a double homicide. Now, weren't you in this same area reporting on another double homicide just a few months ago? Yes, two people were killed here back around Halloween. It happened inside the same apartment complex, which I'm told is a low-income housing area. King County prosecutors say 42-year-old John Williams stabbed two people 150 times in an apartment complex on October 30th. According to court documents, he was later arrested walking down the street covered in blood. And he had been released from the King County Jail days before serving time for assault. So this one block has seen some serious violence since the fall. And I talked with people who work in the area about it especially now with another double homicide. Harry Dizek owns a restaurant just across the street, harried and hungry. He tells me he got into work around 3 a.m. and saw the police. Not uncommon to see police lights over in that area, um, but from my time downtown, I recognized the coroner's van, um, and then that's what raised my you know, alarm to be like, oh, man, something's, something's going on over there. I was surprised at just how unfazed uh, he seemed to be, but he says the violence is something he's used to. He just worries for his team that's here overnight. Another man, Jonathan Markey, works at a nearby elevator repair company. He says they're moving shops soon. We don't like to hang out here by ourselves, that's for sure, but um, I know we're we're in the uh, middle of a move. We'll be out of here at the end of the month, so that's that's a good feeling. And Marky says he's not alone. Their neighboring building, he tells me, used to be a brewery, and they've since moved too. Reporting from Georgetown, Sam Campbell, Cairo News Radio. Thank you, Sam. 
Seattle's Morning News. Good morning. I'm Colleen O'Brien along with Dave Ross. So uh, imagine this scenario. You fall behind on your property taxes. And after so much time, the government decides to seize your home. And then the government sells it and keeps the profit. Is that fair? That's what's happening to a 94-year-old woman out of Minnesota. And Billy Binion with Reason.com has been following her story from the start. So, Billy, can you first just let us know how this began? Why did she fall behind on her taxes? Sure. So her name is Geraldine Tyler, and she had a, a condo that she bought in Minneapolis. And in 2010, she decided it was no longer safe to stay in the neighborhood she was in after a series of kind of unsettling events, which included a nearby shooting. And she ended up moving to an apartment and then after that, an assisted living facility. But she didn't have enough money to finance the rent on her new place, as well as the property taxes on her old condo. And she accrued what was about a $2,300 property tax debt. So then the local government tacked on penalties, interests, and fees, and that $2,300 debt became a $15,000 debt, which for those counting at home is a 550% increase. Um, and then to satisfy that debt, because she obviously, I mean, she, if she couldn't afford the 2300 she wasn't going to be able to afford the 15000 So to satisfy that debt, they seized her home, sold it. It was worth 93000 They sold it at auction for 40000 And then they kept the profits. So they kept that $25,000 surplus instead of giving it back to her. Um, it's called home equity theft. It's it's legal in 12 states and the District of Columbia. And the Supreme Court has just agreed to hear her case. Like uh, like you mentioned, I've been following it for the last year or so. And I mean, it's it's good news, I think, for people who have had this happen to them all across the country. The the, the piece that you, that you read that this references, you know, goes through a couple of different victims of this. It's surprisingly more common than you might think where, you know, people fall behind on their debt and in order to satisfy that debt, the government basically takes everything they're worth far in, in excess of what they actually owe, which you know the Supreme Court will decide this spring if that's constitutional or not. We're certainly familiar with the idea that the government gets its property tax no matter what, but what's left over should go back to you. I didn't realize that there are some states that say you can just take everything. What What's the rationale behind that? Sure. And I actually do think that's an important point to emphasize the point you just made, because, you know, when I when I've covered this over the last couple of years, I do get a lot of those some people who will push back and say, well, shouldn't pay our taxes. The government has a right to get those taxes. I actually don't disagree. And no one no her attorneys don't disagree. The attorneys for other people who have been in this uh, situation don't disagree. You know, people can debate reasonably how much property taxes should be, you know, at local city council meetings across this country. But that is not at stake here. What is at stake is what you just mentioned is, is it constitutional for the government to keep the profit, which I think a lot of people would argue no, and they would point to the taking clause of the Fifth Amendment, which says if the government takes your property, you are entitled to just compensation. If she owed the government a $15,000 debt, it is true that they can seize her property to satisfy that. You know, no one is contesting that. What they're asking the Supreme Court to clarify is, is it in violation of the Constitution to then keep the proceeds and put them into the government coffers? And I think I read that this reached class action status. So how many other homeowners are fighting alongside her? I'm not sure if hers reached class action status, but the other woman's who I mentioned in the feature piece that you are talking about, she went to court and it was eight of them in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Eight people in Michigan went to the went to federal court and said, you know, they met this like terrible fate. And I actually would like to tell one of those stories because it's it's even somehow even more shocking than, you know, this 94-year-old woman's scenario there was a woman in michigan named tawanda hall who led this uh, charge 
this class action suit. She fell $900 behind on her property taxes and a payment plan she had with the Oakland County, Michigan uh, local treasury with added penalties and fees. She owed $22,000. So they seized her home, sold it for over $300,000 and kept the difference, Yikes. which totaled $286,000 that they no, profited off of her wait a second, even, home equity. Billy, even if it's legal, as it apparently is in these states, to keep the whole thing, the decision has to be made by a human being. Who sits down and says, oh, let's just take all the money this 93-year-old woman has in the world? I mean, did you were you able to track it to who made the final decision to to basically invoke the law in this case? Yeah, it's local treasury departments. It's essentially there's a list of 12 states and D.C. that allow this. Washington, where you all are, uh, they do not allow it. But your neighbor to the south, Oregon, it's free game there for local governments that that want to pursue this. And like I said, it's, it's more common than you think. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I covered a case in D.C., um, this guy named Benny Coleman, who fell. I mean, I don't want to. You know, be wrong on the record here, but it was he his his property tax. It was something like a hundred some dollars behind. He was an old man who had dementia, and they took his six figure home, and he lived on the porch for oh. several months because he thought he'd gotten locked out. I mean, it's like <sighs> these stories make your stomach turn, and the reason that it is just so. I mean, it's it's terrible no matter what, but home equity theft by its nature targets the most vulnerable people. It targets the elderly. It targets the poor. Because these are the people who aren't paying their property taxes. If you're middle class and you miss a property tax bill, you can say, oops, I'll, I'll get it covered. But, you know, if you are already low income, you're struggling to get by, maybe you have, you know, a catastrophic event in your family, you get sick, someone else gets sick, you have to leave your home because of crime, like Geraldine Tyler, whose case will be in front of the Supreme Court, those types of things. By its very nature, it's targeting the least of us. And then the government is saying, we'll take you for all your worth. And it's very hard to come back from that when you don't have anything to your name in the first place. Yeah, certainly doesn't sound fair. But is it legal? That's what the U.S. Supreme Court will decide. With the new conservative majority, do you feel this case has a better chance of going in the favor of these individuals? Or does the makeup of the court not matter here? This kind of defies political tribalism. And there are very few things in this day and age that do. So that's kind of saying something here. But, you know, in my responses, when I cover these these stories, people on the right and the left, they they might come to different conclusions. Like if you're on the left, maybe you'd say like this shows why housing should be a right. Or if you're on the right, maybe you'll say like this shows why property tax is bad. You know, people might come to different conclusions, but I have yet to see hardly anyone say, well, this is a good thing, if that makes sense. So. I'm hoping it will go in her favor. Yeah, absolutely. And it uh, sounds like the justices may hear the case in April. We don't have oral arguments scheduled yet, but April is the best bet. That's Billy Binion. He is with Reason.com. Uh, let us know the update when it happens. Okay, Billy? I will. Thanks so much for having me. 847 Seattle's Morning News, and now an occasional feature that we like to call Something Else to Worry About. <laughs> that being toilet rats. Public Health and Seattle King County issued a visual guide for what to do if a rat manages to make it up into your toilet. We have a report from Cairo News writer's Katrina Gishard. Apparently, rain pushes more rats into the sewer systems where they could end up in your pipes. Here's what King County says to do. Remain calm, close the lid and flush, then check if the rat is still there. If the rat is too big or escapes from the toilet, they say it's time to call pest control and set some traps. 
Katrina Gashard, Cairo News Radio. Okay, you got that. Mickey Gomez is here to yeah. uh, lend her. You've you've never encountered this, have you? Well, I lived in New York. I lived in Brooklyn. We had rats. We had rats but in the in, subway. We had rats. Well, yeah, you know. but in uh, coming up the toilet, never. As a matter of fact, every scary movie I've ever watched just just rushed rushed into the front of my brain, and now all I'm thinking about are, are just rats coming out of toilets. Um, <laughs> something that Katrina didn't mention, by the way, is that if it is a small rat, what you can do is you can, of course, slam the lid down or <laughs> run to the what's kitchen. A, what's a small rat and what's a big rat? Well, <laughs> a big rat is one that can raise the lid by himself. That's true. There you go. Thank you, Dave. That's the threshold. So, okay. You can get a bottle of dish soap and then what you do is you barely crack open the lid and you can squirt in the dish soap into the toilet and that will create a very slippery, slimy mess for the rat and then you flush the toilet and then the, hopefully the little rat will go back into the sewer. That sounds like a mess, though. Dish soap in the toilet. Then I have to clean that up. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's a rat, Colleen. Which no would you sympathy. prefer? I know. They're so cute, though. Yeah. Y- my mom used to um, scare me, like, when I would get in trouble when I was a little girl, and she'd always say, rat, come and get her. So when I see rats, I'm not going to be the rat person in my family. This is I'm going to be traumatized and frozen shut. Like, just, no. Mm-hmm. The, the light's going to go out, and I'm just going to stand there frozen. Let's go to somebody who has uh, uh, experience with this, and that would be Chris Sullivan. What, what was you tell? Tell us about your little encounter. Uh, well, we opened up the the toilet at the beach, and uh, there was a rat in the, but it was dead. But oh. it, you know, it, oh, it, yeah. well, yeah. Oh, but really? so I mean, I saw it the, just how long to, had it been there? I don't know. That's a good question. But the thing becomes at that point, I thought it was like an urban legend that you know this doesn't really happen. Uh, but apparently, yeah, there there was one there. He couldn't push up the the seat and get out. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm curious why. Why now? I mean, I mean, why all of a sudden are we getting this warning? Is it because, because of the, of the weather? Tides. Well, is yeah, it that the I mean, tides? It's been raining a lot, and I guess it, this is just the season for it. Hmm. And we are ranked 11, by the way, um, in Orkin, Orkin's list of rattiest cities. What? Ooh. Yeah, we are ranked number 11. What does that mean? Well, that just means that we have a lot of rats. I think New York ranks number one, but yeah. then we're okay. number 11. I, I rarely see them. Maybe it's because I live in the burbs, but... I rarely see them. Plus, old sewers and plumbing make it easier for them to get into our houses. They smell food, so make sure you keep your drains and your garbage disposals clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, flooding or high water in the sewer system after some heavy rain. There, And I didn't know this. Rats can swim. Yeah, Hello? they can. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, and your, your sewer pipe is not always full of water, so it's not like, uh, you know, it's easy to breathe in there. And they just sort of climb up and they say, oh, this looks like an interesting branch to take. And they end up in your upstairs <laughs> bathroom. My uh, my mother-in-law actually uh, once discovered a little squirrel in the toilet. Because, you know, they're small, too. They're, they're, they're a form of rodent, aren't they? Well, sure. But Listen, any any small thing, anything with the, what your, your typical sewer pipe is, what, four inches in diameter? So anything mm-hmm. that's smaller than that. They they can it's a, it's like a, a tunnel for them. It's like well, a little you guys highway. Are triggering my arachnophobia. I well, can't. let me tell you, when I go home this afternoon, I'm going to walk into every bathroom because we have three, and I'm just going to be a toilet down, toilet lid down, toilet lid down because we keep them up. Well, no, this I, is this is look this this I, I looked over this comic. I mean, this is not meant to scare you, Mickey. This is meant to empower you. <laughs> because most people don't know what to do. I mean, so so before you saw this comic, mm-hmm. if you saw the rat in the toilet, you probably panic, right? I would. W- you you would just scream yeah. or dial nine one one or something irresponsible like that. But what what the the health department is trying to tell you is, 
you can stay calm because the rat is not probably not going to leap out of the toilet and attack you, especially if you slam the lid down on Are the Are you thing. sure about that, Dave? I'm pretty sure about the thing. I mean, looking at the rat in this particular toilet. The rat looks cute in the cartoon, but not in real life, Dave. <laughs> Besides, have, didn't you see I the movie Ratatouille? That changed my whole Aww. outlook on rats. Oh, no, That's no, the no. thing. And I have a controversial take on this. I would much rather now have the lids left open on the toilets because I would rather encounter the rat, say, in my living room where there's more space to step than being surprised by one when I have to tinkle and I lift the seat. I, I would much rather that. So you're thinking if you if you deny the access, uh, the toilet access to the rat, he'll end up in your living room? So he'll right. just I'd climb l- out? I'd much rather, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd much rather that than lift the lid and find one. Hmm. I have dogs and I have yeah. Your dogs will take cats. care of it. Oh no, Colleen. Yeah, the cat will take care of it. That's no, for sure. no, cat will for sure. No, 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 not necessarily. I had a rat. We had a rat problem in Portland, not in our sewer, but they came up through the heating duct underneath. Uh-huh. Uh, both of our oh. cats were sitting there as, as uh, a rat had its nose all the way out the the heating register. Was looking around, and our cats were looking at each other like, "Hey, what do you think that thing is?" That could be tied to the the physical the physicality of your cats. Sully. I've seen my that. cats do that with bunnies. So, you know, maybe they will do that with a rat. But listen, to report a problem with rats, uh, you can always go to MyNorthwest.com, click on traffic, and then Mickey Gomez. I'm going to have all the links. And then, of course, this cartoon posted later this morning. Did, did you just ask people who have a rat problem to, to report it to you? <laughs> no, but oh. they can go to MyNorthwest.com oh, okay. to get the link to report okay. it. And then I'll have all the links and the cartoon posted there. Just as want to well. make it clear because that's what it sounded like to me. I don't think you want to be in the other end of that line. No, I don't. Okay. Oh, thank you. somebody who used to live in Silverdale who texted us said that they get fro- they used to get frogs in their basement Ooh. toilet. Oh, well, they had little tiny frogs everywhere. Well, they can leap right out of the toilet. Yeah, that's a and toe they, curler. And they get all the way to Carlene's living room. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you will never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.